fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. If you're going to ask me, so you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week. 30 years in the making. It's episode number 289. Memphis Bell is our movie this time around. Uh, very, very quickly, we spoil the movies we talk about. We spoil freely here, so be warned. iTunes reviews, leave us a five-star review. Let us know what you're loving about the show. We want to hear from you. Uh, you can also email, tweet, uh, Instagram, all that other stuff, too. Visit our website, 30podcast.com. That's a great way to find about all the other different ways that you can interact with the show, uh, interact with us and uh, go from there. The voicemail line is up there and, and all that other stuff. So that's a great place to go to get that kind of information. I have with me tonight my co-pilots, the, the, the crew on the 30-something bell. Uh, I've got with me tonight Pat Canagallo and Bo Warmbold. Gentlemen, it's good to be here with you. Good to be with you, John. How's it going? One. All right, we've got a couple of items of movie news here to talk about. So uh, let's go ahead and jump into some movie news stuff. Just a, a few things that have come out within the last, oh, maybe week or two that maybe we haven't gotten around to. So figured I would share these with you gentlemen and see what your thoughts are. Sounds good to me. So mm. first one up, uh, have you seen any of the photos of the new Batman movie? Have you uh, seen, they've, they've put out photos of the new Batman suit. Batman on a motorcycle and the new Batmobile. Oh my gosh! Whoa! Wait! Wait! Yeah, back where, up. Where I have am, you been? I am fever, feverishly going to the internet right now. Google it. Batman movie? Is this with Ben Ben Affleck? No, this is the uh, Robert Pattinson one. Right, Robert. which I still have mental issues with. Okay. Him as Batman bothers me conceptually, but. I, but hey, you know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take it all the way back to the last time somebody told me that uh, Heath Ledger was gonna play Joker, and I was like, wait, the the Knight's Tale guy? Mm, fair. So I, I'm I'm reserving judgment until I see the movie. I'll, I'll put it that way. I'm, and I, oh, I like and I like the look so far. I don't say that that I'm going to not see it. I just, oh yeah, yeah. It's him, and I just don't mm-hmm. know. I admittedly, I admittedly, I don't think I've seen him. I don't think I've seen any of his other movies, so I don't know that I have anything. And to... a little bit of the suit. I'm looking for the good stuff, like mm-hmm. you know, the Batmobile. Batmobile looks pretty sweet. Screen rant, maybe. Mm-hmm. The suit's not terrible. No, the suit almost looks like the Christian Bale thing, unless I'm looking at something different. Just, there's. Wait, it doesn't look. Am I looking at the wrong thing? No, no, you're looking at the right thing. It's it's got weird flourishes that I don't know. Mm-hmm. If it's very, it's very much, I, my understanding is he's supposed to be, this is supposed to be like not year one for Batman, but kind of like year two for Batman. Mm. Okay. So he's, he's been Batman for about a year. He's working on the suit to try to make it better. And it looks like to me, just looking at some of these pictures, it looks like a lot of stuff is very 
oh, I don't want to say homemade, but it's not like super refined. It's not like right. the, it's not like the, hey, I just went down to the Wayne Tech R&D division and found this fully formed suit that I could wear that's bulletproof and knife proof. And um, yeah, you know, he hasn't hooked up with Lucius yet. That's the, right. Right. <laughs> you know, so he's got, the, the, he's got the motorcycle. Very, he's very battle armor inspired. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it looks he like he's right. Like it, it looks like he's got some armor that he's kind of cobbled together from a few different sources and. And the Batmobile just pretty much, I think, if I remember correctly from the photos, it kind of just looks a little bit like a sports car with some other, like, baddie flourishes. Mm-hmm. Well, the only thing I've seen with him sitting on a motorcycle, it looks like kind of an old-school bike. Yeah, it's not even like a bat cycle. Okay. What's, do we have a, a release? Uh, yes, actually, I that's one of my next things we we're going to talk about, um, is... Or at some point, we'll talk about it. Uh, the Batman is coming out June 2021. Okay. So, so I, I'll be curious to see. I'm I'm kind of excited for it. I, again, for him as an actor, I really don't think I've seen too many of his other movies, if any, of his other movies. So I really don't have anything to compare it to. Bill Skarsgård, the, the Joker. Yeah, yeah. So they've got some. They've got some rumored characters. They've got. Uh, um. Oh, you know, a couple of different, I'm, I'm blanking out on some of the actors, but, um, you know, they have some, they have some pretty decent actors that are taking on the roles of, um, like, like Alfred, Commissioner Gordon, all those folks. Hmm. So I don't know. I, it looks like it'll be pretty decent, but uh, one of the first things, of course, people jump on it and they're like, this looks stupid. I'm like, okay. First of all, <laughs> you're, right. You're looking at leaked photos. So somebody that was like a hundred feet away on the movie set before any kind of post-production or anything like that snapped a picture on their cell phone at night and you're telling me oh the whole movie's gonna be bad just because this photo looks horrible just slow your roll uh, okay. Let's i get love the- that andy circus is gonna be alfred yeah i think that's gonna be fun oh they're going the Cal- carmine falcone route yes john Turturro. Mm-hmm. yep you're not gonna pay john Turturro just to sit on the sidelines no but that'll be good yeah yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be fun. Yeah, that should be fun. It'll be a, okay. Looks okay, like it'll be kind up. of a kind of a scrappy Batman. Young, scrappy, and hungry. Mm-hmm. What you got, Pat? I was I was looking at the wrong photos before. Now oh, I'm looking okay. at the right photos. Okay. I think I was looking at the Christian Bale Batman before. Oh, were you? Okay. And I think the motorcycle I was looking at was the bike they were using, like the camera bike. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But now I've got the bad cycle. You got the bad cycle. It's it's really just a motorcycle. Yeah. But the Batmobile is kind of nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm getting down to that. Hmm. I don't even know. Like, I don't, I don't know if I know what. Let's see if I can pull it up real fast. I don't know what kind of car it is. Um, um, oh, see, that's why I like it. Mm-hmm. It's a mashup. See, I always liked the kind of the look of the Dodge Charger. Mm-hmm. It is a mashup of a Dodge Charger and a Ford GT. There you go. Oh, while I do love the look of the charger, I am more partial to the uh, the front end of a Challenger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's, it's pretty sweet. Well, I, I just know, found I, a, be fun. I just found a video of him riding the motorcycle and he fell over. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that's a bit, and people are like, he fell over on the motorcycle. I'm like, okay, they're filming. This is not yeah. the finished product. They're filming it. Just and. And I, chill, I hate to break. I, <laughs> it's I hate to it's break. an actor. It's not actual real Batman. 
and and I hate to I hate to break the news to everybody, and maybe this guy was a motorcycle rider. Things on two wheels tend to fall over. Right. So mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. that that is that that has happened. Right. <laughs> I internet. All right. In other news, uh, are you gentlemen aware of the actor Max von Sydow? Have you heard that he passed away today? Yeah. Yeah, that was sad. Yeah, passed away at age ninety. Um, and I was trying to think back to some. I mean, that was that's that's quite a life and quite a quite a career. But um, I was trying to think of you know some of the different movies of his that I've watched in the past and and really enjoyed. And I I was trying to think back to what were the first movies that I remembered seeing him in. And I'm sure I saw him in other movies. In fact, I know I saw him in other movies before these. Um, but the first two I can think of where I actually recognized, oh, that's that actor, um, was The Exorcist and the movie The Seventh Seal. Mm-hmm. Like the old is it Swedish movie where it's uh, he's playing chess. He's a knight and he's playing chess with death. Yeah. Which is where you get when you're in Bill and Ted's uh, bogus journey right. where you're there making fun of that. Yes. Yeah. And who plays death? And Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. So I just I saw that he had just passed away today, and of course he's been in tons of movies and and a few that we've covered uh, here and there on the podcast. I think he was in. Um, let's see, I was gonna throw it back here. What you know? What we never actually did when we started the podcast, we did not end up doing Dune. I think that would have been a fun one to do, but that was back in '84, and we didn't do that one. But he was in Dune. Um, he was. Was he not also? That's another one they keep talking about remaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, they are going to remake it. I, I forget what year it's coming out, but well, I, it's been tried before. I tend to wait until oh, you think it's not going to filming happening? Okay. Um, yeah, he was in the Exorcist. He was in the first couple of Exorcist movies. Um, he was also was he not also in Flash Gordon? Yeah, I think he was. Wasn't he? Wasn't he Ming the Merciless in Flash Gordon? I feel like he was. I don't remember. Not surprised, man. I have to look it up. I'm blanking out on that one, but um, he was in Dune. He was in. Uh, he was in Hannah and Her Sisters. We did that one kind of early on in the podcast. Um, he was the voice of uh, Vigo in Ghostbusters too. He was. Mm-hmm. Um, he in just a few weeks we'll do the movie Awakenings um, with Robin Williams. He's in that one. Okay. So yeah, yeah, um, and of course, I mean, who can forget his performance in Judge Dredd? No one. No one. I mean, of the five people that saw that movie, no one. Right. You know. But, yeah, no, uh, Minority Report. He was good in Minority Report. But just, I mean, tons of great movies. Yeah. And, of course, I think it's funny that, you know, of all the movies that this man has done in his entire life, and one of the ones that was the most recent was The Force Awakens. So everybody's like, Force Awakens actor Max von Sydow dies at age 90. Really, guys? Come on. They're... I love a good Star Wars movie, but I think he probably wants to be remembered. I mean, I'm not going to speak for the guy, but he may want to be remembered more for more than just his like four minutes at the beginning of The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, are you gentlemen ready to jump on into this movie? And and Pat is just kind of like, he's basically <laughs> a race car in the red right now. <laughs> Frothing at the mouth. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I don't really think I probably need to ask that question, but it just, it was habit. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's go. Movie this time around is Memphis Bell. It came out on the 12th of October, 1990, rated PG-13. One uh, runtime of one hour and 47 minutes, directed by Michael Caton Jones. He also did Rob Roy, Doc Hollywood, and The Jackal. Producers were David Putnam and Catherine Weiler. Putnam did Chariots of Fire, Midnight Express, and Weiler did Hot on the Trail. Writers for this one were Monty Merrick, who died in 2015. He did Mr. Baseball and Eight Seconds. Cinematography was done by David Watkin, who died in 2008. 
did Moonstruck, Out of Africa, and Chariots of Fire. Music was done by George Fenton, uh, who also did Groundhog Day, uh, Ever After, and You've Got Mail. Box office for that one is a budget for that one was $23 million, kind of estimated $23 million. Box office was $27 million domestic. So just made a little bit more than it cost to make the movie. Um, Rotten Tomatoes critics give this one a 67%. Rotten Tomatoes audience gives it a 79. IMDb gives it a 69. Letterboxd gives it a 64. And Cinema Score gives it an A. So a little bit of a discrepancy in some of our scores there, but we can talk about that as we get on into it. Uh, starring Matthew Modine as Captain Dennis Dearborn in Full Metal Jacket, The Dark Knight Rises. Eric Stoltz was Sergeant Danny, Danny Boy Daly. He was in Pulp Fiction and Some Kind of Wonderful. Tate Donovan was First Lieutenant Luke Sinclair. He was in Argo and Hercules, the Disney cartoon. D.B. Sweeney played Lieutenant Phil Lowenthal. He was in Eight Men Out and The Cutting Edge. Billy Zane was Lieutenant Valentine. He was in Back to the Future, Titanic, and Tombstone. Sean Astin played Sergeant Richard Rascal Moore. He was in The Goonies and Lord of the Rings movies. Harry Connick Jr. played Sergeant Clay Busby. He was in The Iron Giant and Independence Day. Reed Diamond played Sergeant Virgil Hoogestegger. I probably said that wrong. Now that's a name. I'm not going to try that that one again. Um, I'm going to say Sergeant Virgil H. That's how we're doing that one. Good old. Sounds good to me. Good old teacher taking attendance and can't pronounce the kid's last name. You know, Rascal, I could tell you something. (laughs) He was in Moneyball and Homicide Life on the Street. Courtney Gaines was Sergeant Eugene McVeigh. He was in Back to the Future, The Burbs, and Can't Buy Me Love. Uh, Neil Guntoli was Sergeant Jack Bocci. He was in Child's Play and Waterworld. David Stratham was Strathairn, I'm sorry, was Colonel Craig Harriman. He was in LA Confidential, Eight Men Out, and A League of Their Own. John Lithgow was Lieutenant Colonel Bruce Derringer. He was in The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, Harry and the Hendersons, and Third Rock from the Sun. And Jane Horrocks was Faith, and she was in The Witches and the cartoon Chicken Run. Or not really cartoon, like a clay animation movie uh we have got the trailer coming up here in just a moment and then we'll be back right after that in the summer of 1943 a fierce battle raged in the skies of europe so that's the crew of the memphis bell huh they're just ordinary men colonel they fly 24 missions without a scratch that doesn't sound very ordinary to me Assume positions for takeoff. It was a time when boys became soldiers. Sir, that's the third rank down there. 30 seconds to bomb run. You've never done this before, have you? Why? Am I doing something wrong? Strangers became brothers. I know that I shall meet my fate somewhere among the clouds above. Look out, look out! Take out the rookies. Smile? What is there to smile about, sir? You guys have finished 24 missions. One more and you get to go home. That sure make me smile. Target for today is Bremen. Matthew Modine and Eric Stoltz. I know you want to drop the bombs and get the hell out of here. Bandits, five o'clock. We asked these boys to become men. We ask these men to become heroes. But whatever the danger, whatever the odds, it's our job, ours, nobody else's. We ask them to come home again. Memphis Bell, an extraordinary adventure. 
All right. So Memphis Bell. Um, and again, Pat is frothing at the mouth. So we're going to make him go last. Um, <laughs> just a just a just a torture him, just a tease, just a just a little bit there. Um, how does this movie make you feel? So this is just straight up emotional connection to this movie. How does this movie make you feel when you watch it? Bo, how does this one make you feel? It's a tough one for me. Um, I, I I think when, when I start to, when it, the movie starts, I know how it's going to end. So I, I get a little sad for some of it, but in the end I'm hopeful because I know, you know, I know they're gonna, gonna make it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a little rambly and weird, but that's what I got. That's all right. <laughs> uh, this movie made me feel tense. Um, I enjoyed it. Like, I really like this movie, but it, and that's one of the things I think it did really well was I, the entire time, like, I mean, I had a pretty good sense of, I, I'm pretty sure I know how this is going to end. Um, but the entire time, just the, the claustrophobia of being in that plane and just, I don't know, just, just watching this the entire time. I don't think I relaxed the whole time I was watching it. And I think that's what they wanted. Uh, they wanted you to feel what these guys were feeling when they were in this plane. So, so I will say I, I love the movie. I enjoyed the movie, um, but I did feel a little tense and I think that's a good thing. I think that's what I was supposed to feel. All right. Let me, let me release the Kraken here and just let Pat go. <laughs> all the feels to quote mm-hmm. your daughter and just maxed out with all of the feels. And you know what, Bo, I'm going to quote one of your favorite movies and, uh, you know, when they, uh, you know, you remember the hunt for Red October when, uh, the, the guy is chasing them in the alpha, the Kanivalov, mm-hmm. and he says, you know, inquire on the engineer of going to 110% on the reactor. And they say that, you know, you know, it's, it's possible, but not recommended. And he goes 110% on the reactor. That's yeah. kind of what happens. Like I've got all the fields and not only are they maxed out, they're at like 110% on the reactor. Sure. It's, it's, Yeah. And so it's interesting that you said that this was a hard one for you because I thought this might be like, how does this movie make me feel? That might be the most difficult question of this whole podcast because it's all the feels and mm-hmm. it just, uh, I feel them when I, when I watch this. Now I do have a quick question. Have either of you seen the, was it 1944 documentary about the Memphis bell? Yes. You yes. Have. Okay. Oh, you both have a long time ago though. Cause okay. I was, originally planning on trying to watch it before we talked about this but i didn't get around to it okay all right i have not seen that one either um so this was my first time viewing either of those Uh, my first time seeing memphis bell and i have not seen the documentary but i would be curious to go see it now and it's 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 really good and i'll tell you something else um it's uh um there some of the real footage that's spliced into this is from that documentary okay there's, there's some of the scenes I know. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Just when they show some of that, that's some of the footage that they were filming when they were on the Memphis bell. Yeah. was when they, when they, when they cut to some of the real footage, okay. like, especially when the plane, it shows the one plane just kind of lazily flipping over um, as it goes in. That was, you know, they're, they're sitting there. That was one of their wingmen that went down and, and uh, yeah. Anyways, yeah, not to go too far on a tangent, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So now uh, you guys having seen the documentary and having watched this movie before, um, I, one of my first questions when it always comes to a movie like this, especially if I haven't seen it before, is from, and especially that since you've seen the documentary, how well did you feel like this movie 
followed the history of what happened. Now, obviously, names are different, um, and, and a lot of this has been fictionalized, but do you feel like having watched the true story documentary of this versus the 1990 movie of this, do you feel like it was fairly true to form? I feel like it captured the spirit of it well, but as far as individual um, history, my memory is failing me a little. Um, it's been long enough since I've seen the documentary that I'm, I'm not as confident about committing to that. But I do remember thinking, I don't remember after seeing the documentary thinking, oh, geez, what did they do? I remember thinking, okay, these two things can exist together in the same world. And, and that's not a bad thing. I think, um, and I, I also want to throw in there, there's a book called The Memphis Bell. There might be a bunch of them now, but I read it and I, it, I'll look it up to make sure that there's only the one and it's the one I'm thinking of. But that one really did a nice job of breaking down the whole story of The Memphis Bell, especially its final mission and everything like that. And just the crew members and, and all that that's available as well um, that's worth reading. When I remember when I first saw this movie, uh, I saw it in the theater. I went with my dad and uh, boy, that was, that was quite a ride. Let me tell you that. But um, um, he described it and I, I still kind of go back to it. I think it makes sense. My dad described it as all, most all of the things that you see in this movie happened throughout the course of the war but not like that and not to just one plane on necessarily one plane on one mission. So when you, when you, when you ask that question, I think this movie does a pretty good job of representing what the air war was like. Um, I think all those things that you saw did or could have happened with maybe some exception, but all of those things, you know, could uh, uh, um, most of those things, I'll say most of those things, did happen, you know, during the air war, but not to one plane and, and not to the Memphis Bell. I think the, the original Memphis Bell, and, and, and you can look up and see all its missions, you know, they, some of the crew were reassigned to other planes. So, you know, there was a little bit of crew switching around and stuff. There were times that they, that crew flew in another plane because their plane was busted. So they flew in another plane for missions um, when it came right down to it, I think they had to, like, they finished missions, but then the Memphis Bell went out with another crew, and, you know, there was situations like that. And I want to say, I don't think the Bell was the first plane to complete 25 missions. I think it was one of the first. Um, I, think, I think the absolute first was called, like, Hell's Angels or Hell's Bell or something like that, and it completed it, its missions, like, a week earlier. Um, and... I don't know why one got more publicity than the other, other than possibly the nose art was a little bit inappropriate to be sending on a war bond tour for the other plane. <laughs> um, so you kind of had to be careful of that, or maybe they both went on tour and it's just, they decided to pick up Memphis bell for the movie or that's what they made the documentary off of. You know, you don't know how all those things go down. So I think when you look at this movie, um, it's, it's final mission. I don't believe was necessarily, um, uh, you know, what you see in this was not what its final mission was like. Um, in fact, I want to say, because I actually met one of the guys that flew on it. I met the left waist gunner. Um, oh, wow. When they had a, uh, they, they had a, a mock-up of the Memphis Bell fly into the 94th Aero Squadron. So, you know, I was got, you got a chance to crawl all through it. And they had 
the uh, gentleman, his name was Bill Winchell, and he flew in it. And I might be way off, so if any of his descendants are listening, my apologies, but I want to say that his oxygen mask iced over, and he passed out for a good part of the mission. Um, so it was kind of like... Oh, Pat, you, you know, know how just, that feels. Yeah, I was going to say. Now, my, my oxygen mask, you know, did the same thing on Gremlins too, um, you know, but uh, anyways, I'm kind of rambling, but I think, to be concise, I think what you see is a pretty accurate portrayal of the air war um but i don't think the those things didn't happen to the memphis bell in that way on that mission um and so forth if this is really because i uh, admittedly i did not know the history of the memphis bell um when i was watching the movie I, i knew of the memphis bell i knew very just basic surface level details um but as i'm watching i'm like wow if this is not a fictionalized account of what happened on this mission, everything that could possibly have gone wrong did go wrong. You know, mm-hmm. th- this is pretty crazy. Like it's, it's amazing. They made it through this. And, but I, I've kind of figured, and I think I've read afterwards that, well, I mean, yeah, some stuff went wrong, but it, this was kind of a, a mixture of different instances and, and, you know, obviously crew, crew, crew member names were different and, and things like that. So it doesn't necessarily match up with uh, this historical record. And I, and I will say that I, in some of those missions, especially early on in the war, that much going wrong and that much struggle and that much getting shot to pieces and all that kind of stuff, that was more common than not. Mm-hmm. That was probably pretty par for the course. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of those planes coming back. And, they, and that's what I like about this movie is they drop in little tidbits and little sayings and little pieces of it that they do it in a creative way that you're like, oh, well, that's interesting. On a wing and a prayer. What is that? Well, that was a saying because there were some of those planes would come back and it was like on one engine and half a wing or, you know, holes in the plane. I mean, and you can, you can go and find some what those planes look like coming back. And, you know, a lot of them were they were in pretty rough shape as was the crew, you know? So, you know, I don't, I don't want to be too, I don't want to be too like, Oh, poo poo. Oh, they're just Hollywoodizing it. There, there was some Hollywood happening in there, but in terms of the overall, just how much they get shot to pieces. I, I, I think that was pretty, I think that was pretty accurate to what those guys had to deal with. So Bo, what is it about this movie that, you are going to remember. Now you, you mentioned that you've seen this movie before. Is this one that you've seen quite a bit or two or three times? Okay. Not, not a ton, but it is one I, I enjoy. Um, I actually forgot how much I liked this movie. Um, honestly, it's the interaction between the crew and by that extension, like the, it sort of blows me away that the cast that's in this movie, mm. like this group of guys made a movie together and it's really good. And, mm. And I think that's, you know, just from a from a global look at the movie thing, um, scenes, this the scene that still um, I always remember is when the, the fog clears and the bomber lets loose, you know, the fog clears at the last second and they fire and they just, you know, after going back around, which they probably shouldn't have done and and all of these things, you know, when that fog clears, that's the scene that sort of sticks in my head. Yeah. For me, I I think it'll just be, I think it's that, that feeling of really kind of getting a sense that you, 
you understand what it, uh, even an inkling of what it must have been like to be on one of those flying fortresses. Um, you know, we went to, when we were on our way down to uh, a trip to, down to Texas to see my family, we stopped in uh, Muskogee, Oklahoma, and they had a submarine that was there. It was the USS Batfish, and it was really just off the side of the highway. Like somehow this submarine had been delivered there. They either, you know, I don't know, the town purchased it or they did something so that they had some kind of a, a monument there to um, submarine warfare. And it really, it was weird. It was just right off the side of the interstate. And so we actually pulled off, we went there and we went into the submarine. You could get up in it and just, I think when you, when you watch the movies like Hunt for Red October or Das Boot or some of these other submarine movies, you don't get a sense of how claustrophobic those places were. And I think, you know, these flying fortresses for as huge as these things were, that's not a big space for a whole crew of guys to be working in. And just you're, you're in that tight space and the, the tensions are obviously rising as you're just waiting out, getting your, getting to your destination, making sure that you get the, the, the drop done right. And, um, and I think this movie just did a great job of that, of just building up that tension the entire time. Um, and really doing a great job, I think of getting us to getting us to the point where we know, or we're at least familiar enough with these characters where we care about them pretty quickly because you've got a short stretch of time where you need to get the audience to care about an entire crew of people. And I thought they did yeah. a great job of that. <clears throat> what was interesting was, and I was reading this uh, tonight before we started recording, one of the reviews, actually a, a, several of the reviews were kind of negative for this movie. And they criticized the writing of the movie. They criticized the, um, the characters in the movie. They criticized the historical inaccuracies. And Roger Ebert actually gave it a positive review. But in his positive review, he said, and I, I actually wanted to pull it up because I thought it was kind of interesting. He said, uh, and he gave it a three out of four stars, um, and he said, this human element in the experience of the Memphis Bell crew somehow compensates for a lack of human dimension in the characters. We can't really tell the crew members apart and don't much care to, but we can identify with them. And I thought that was kind of interesting because I, I heard that criticism about this movie somewhere else too was, well, I don't really know anything about these people. Like, I can't tell who's who. And I don't really care about them because of that. But when I'm watching this, and I, again, I was watching this for the very first time, I will admit, I don't know that I could look at one of those characters and say, oh yeah, that guy's name was, and tell you exactly what his name was. But within about, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes of the movie starting, I had a pretty good sense of who these characters were. Mm-hmm. I know who I knew who Sean Astin was. I know who Virgil was. I know who Danny Boy was. I, I knew who these characters was, even who they were. Even if I couldn't tell you exactly what their name and their rank and everything else was, that's one of the things I thought this movie did really well. Was it had a fairly sizable group of people that you needed to get to know their personalities pretty quickly, even if you didn't know their names. You knew their personalities. You knew the one guy was terrified he was going to die on this mission. You know, you mm-hmm. knew pretty quickly that the one guy. You know, he seems like a, a pretty confident, uh, you know, medic, but turns out he doesn't really know much of anything at all. Um, you know these guys pretty fast. And I think that's something that's difficult to do in a movie. And I think this one did it well. Yeah. And I've heard that criticism, too, that, you know, that uh, they kind of blend together and everything like that. But I think, you know, at the it, and I think at the risk, if you try to make them so diverse or so, then the movie starts to bogged down 
and get so long. I mean, then you start, to, and I know it's a completely different movie, but that's when you get into The Great Escape. And The Great Escape, everyone's like, oh my God, The Great Escape, it's just too long. Well, that's because they go through and they develop all, however many characters. Nothing against it, but this movie is in a different time. And that also being said, that's one of the things, okay, maybe from a movie standpoint, they should have developed these guys uh, differently or better or whatnot. But it's kind of like, you know what, back in the day, I mean, they were all kids, kind of just there fighting a war. So, I mean, it's, it's how much diversity are you really going to get? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, like, like that would be sort of like you could go for diversity, like, I mean, and maybe he didn't say diversity, so I, I probably shouldn't hit that angle too much, but it's like, well, what more do you need to know about these kids for the sake of this story? That's the idea. They're all 18 year olds put into this weapon and told that, you know, you're going to fly over, uh, you know, and do this bombing run and probably not make it. Chances are you're not coming back. Your life expectancy is about a month. So, you know, what, what more, what more were they looking for? What would, what would they have added to this that would have helped tell the story a little bit better? Well, and, and the movie is about the mission. The movie is not about necessarily the individual characters. It's about the mission and it's about how, you know, I think, I think that's what it does really well. And I, I'm, so I'm, I'm not sure. It's one of those instances where I think I feel like I watched a different movie than some of the people who criticized it watched. Mm-hmm. because they're saying well i just i don't connect with these characters i don't know these characters i don't know enough about them to care and i think well i felt like i found out pretty much everything i needed to know in the first few minutes and then you put them in the situation that they're in and and you know i got it i mean some of these sure some of these characters are a bit cliched and they are right. you know they're they're not i don't know that i could necessarily call them you know fully formed always three-dimensional characters but I understand them well enough to understand what this mission means to each one of them. Right. And I'm okay with that. I don't have a problem with that. So is there anything about this movie that does not work? Is there, are there any places where this falls apart where something just doesn't quite click? I know Pat, sometimes when we've talked about historical movies, you've, you've been a little, I don't want to say critical because I don't know if that's the right word, but sometimes you get a little, little, I mean, let's say critical. Sometimes you get a little critical of when a movie is not historically as accurate as it probably could have been. Is that, yeah, do you have an issue with that I, one in this movie? I don't just because what it shows you is so powerful. Um, so I don't mind that it's a fictionalized account. Um, I don't mind that they made it, you know, I don't need them to say, well, why did they call it the Memphis bell? Why didn't they just call it the Chicago bell and make up a complete, no, I, I think uh, there's enough of that there that it, that it is a compelling story. Um, I was, I was taken by it. I mean, okay. Maybe from a movie standpoint, you know, like they were saying that you, you do get a little bit of, and especially now as I've rewatched it for the umpteen millionth time, I've, I've heard people <coughs> say that, okay, well, you know, it is a little bit of the, you know, the stereotypical Hollywood, here we go, you know, into the wild blue yonder type characters. And and I could see where they put a little bit of that into the movie, um, you know, for entertainment value. But that being said, I, I really, you know, the inaccuracies, I don't really, 
don't bug me that much. I mean, yeah, going around on the bomb run probably wouldn't happen. They move to a secondary target or a, for that matter, they maybe even have a tertiary target that they would move to. Um, I don't know that they would necessarily go around again. Um, you know, there was, uh, you know, the whole diving the plane down like that to put the fire out on the, on the, on the engine there. I mean, there could be 50 million examples of that and I'm just not aware of it. I, I think that there's, I, I don't know that that would have necessarily happened like that or been as successful. I think they could have torn the wings off the plane more likely, but, um, but that being said, I'm not a pilot and I most certainly didn't fly one of those planes. So, you know, for the sake of the movie, I, you know, I understand that, that they've got to make it dramatic and entertaining. And, um, you know, so, so I get that, you know, they have those things in there and with all the, stuff that they show you depicting that air war that's just so palpable and now you're seeing it on the screen i i can kind of turn a blind eye towards the some of the more uh <clears throat> some of the more questionable choices you know some of the more hollywoodized choices the talk about the bomb site the talk about you know that the bombardier flies it the phraseology of right in the pickle barrel the talk of daylight bombing um all that kind of stuff is just it. The movie is rife with, Oh, I wonder if that's true. Let me jump up and study that. Oh, wow. What does that refer to? Let me go figure out what that's all about. Um, I really, uh, um, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to be superly overly critical of things like in that, in that sense, just because there is so much that I enjoy watching with this movie. I think some of the interactions between the, the commanding officer and the John Lithgow character, I think at some point he would pull rank, drop, kick that guy and send him packing. Um, I don't think he would put up with that. Just, um, and some of the, um, actually it's a lot of the interactions with the John Lithgow character. I think that bugged me. Um, some of the way he interacts with the pilot, with the officers in that one scene, it's just, I don't know, something about it just always kind of seems ungenuine, maybe. In the sense, if you don't mind me asking, in the sense yeah. that, in the sense that John Lithgow's character is, John Lithgow's really doing his job and making you like think, God, this guy's just a royal pain in the butt. Or you find that the writing, it's just, you don't like the way that character fits in. Yeah, I don't like the way, I think he goes, he could still be the annoying PR guy, but they took it a little over the top a few Got times. Got like it. there is absolutely no way that those pilots would sit there for this nonsense. Like at some point they would just flip the guy off and walk away. Mm. <laughs> like, these aren't exactly the type of people to sit there and suffer fools, you know? And this mm. guy is, well, kind of a caricature. Bit of a fool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. How about you, John? Would you uh, point to anything that didn't work? Yeah, I, I, in terms of stuff that didn't work, um, not really. Like, not that I can think of. I mean, I I really enjoyed it. I, um, you know, it's funny. We as we sat down to watch it, uh, Sharon remembers watching. Her dad really liked war movies. Uh, you know, he there. There's a a town right next to us. Uh, you know, as you as you drive into Mundelein, they have that cannon that's out there over by uh, mm -hmm. Carmel High School. And uh, there have been a few different places. There's a a place that we stop on our way to go see family down in Missouri. That's uh, Fort Leonard wood, um, which is a, a big uh, military training base in the United States. And um, 
there is a Walmart that sometimes we tend to stop at just to kind of get out, stretch our legs a little bit before we make the last bit of the trip on to go see our family. And right outside this Walmart is a, uh, a tank. And Sharon has always commented that her dad always really enjoyed war movies and the history of war and everything else so much that he had at a couple of different times, he, he had actually wanted to get a replica of, or, or an actual old tank and put it in their yard somewhere, but uh, that her mom <laughs> was kind of opposed to that. And so uh, it, it never really happened. So one thing she said was uh, for something to be, she said for a, a movie to be a good war movie, all she really needs to do is just remember whether or not she watched it with her dad, because there were so many times that I think she ended up watching a bunch of these older war movies because he really loved them. And she said, you know what? I actually don't remember ever watching this with him. Uh, she said, I, I think he would have loved it if he had seen it, but I don't remember ever seeing it. So I'm not sure if he knew about this one. Um, hmm. So no, we, we really enjoyed watching it. And uh, you know, I thought it was a, I thought it was a great movie. I thought it was a, it, it was great for what it, the story it was trying to tell and the way it got you into the characters. And um, I, I can't really think of too much about the movie that I would probably go change. So, so uh, John, I just have to ask, yeah. given your proclivity for open space, obviously mm-hmm. we were not in space floating without gravity. Um, however, there were a couple scenes in there where, you know, uh, like when the, I remember being a kid and when the ball turret got hit, because it jammed up. First of all, imagine being stuck in a ball turret like that. Nope. But second of all, when the ball turret and when I remember as a kid, like that was like heart in mouth moment, like, Oh my God, what movie am I seeing? Yep. Nope. When, when uh, Virgil opened up the thing and rascal was hanging by the safety strap at the bottom of the plane. Mm-hmm. That was, uh, yeah, no, that was, uh, I, I had a little bit of trouble with that, but uh, yeah, I remember just sitting there. There like, was, there was that. And then the scene where they're trying to crank down the landing gear. Oh. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, no, there was there were a few scenes there I was having a little bit of trouble with. So it's, I'm just not yeah. really a fan of of either floating endlessly in space or falling from a really really high altitude. Yeah, that just added to the tension. But I think that was something this movie did well. I think the tension is something this movie did well, is to get yeah. you to feel, you know, the the urgency of what they're doing and the tension of even if you knew how this was going to turn out historically, I still feel mm-hmm. like you could look at this and be like, okay. I, I should feel silly about this. I know how it's going to end. I know how this all works out. I'm still nervous for these guys. Right. Bo, how old were you, how old were you when you first saw this? Well, it's funny you ask that. I think we were, I saw it in the theater when it came out. Okay. I remember distinctly going to see this movie in the theater with my grandmother. And okay. I am, it's a, such a strange memory for me because I don't know what theater we went and saw it in, but it wasn't like the theater we always went to with mom and dad, you know? Yeah. I think she took us to one of the two Highland Park theaters, wherever they would have shown this at the time. Okay. okay. But I have like this odd feeling of it being a special trip. Like, and, and my grandfather might've been there too, which is even crazier because to get, I don't know. I can't remember ever seeing him in a movie theater. Um, mm-hmm. But I just remember the experience, you know? Right. So I think the first time I saw it, I was nine years old. Yeah. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it in the theater and my dad went and saw it with my mom. And then, uh, you know, I had been reading and studying the Second World War and, and all that. And they kind of discussed it. And they was like, okay, Patrick's ready for, you know. And I was, I was a little bit older than you were when you saw it. 
but they're like, yeah, okay. And then, and I remember my dad, you know, walking in and we were looking at the movie poster and he was pointing out the guys, like he said, this guy's the pie, he's the bombardier. Here's this, here's that, here's the, you know, and the whole the other thing. And so, yeah, I remember like, you know, it was kind of like a, holy crap, this is an intense movie, you know? Mm-hmm. So. In this movie, thinking of the characters in this movie, who in this movie would you want to go grab a burger with? Well, Virgil's going to start the chain of uh, restaurants. That's true. You know? Right. I feel Verge, like he'd, he'd have pretty good no sense. One wants to get, yeah, no one wants to get the same old hamburger wherever they eat. <laughs> I mean, and I know that that was probably a little bit on the nose, but, mm-hmm. you know. I think you'd probably have the best conversation with Danny. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to sit around and just talk about some stuff for a while. I kind of feel like he'd be the one that you'd want to sit down and just, like, have a chat with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Rascal would be fun. You know, some of the other guys, they'd, they'd be fun to sit and talk to. But I kind of feel like Danny would be the one you might get the best conversation out of. Um, that's, you know, that's a tough one. Um, I struggle with this, too. And I'm curious if your reason is the same as mine. I think Clay would be fun. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. you're going to go out with Clay and you are going to have a good time. Mm-hmm. You're going to meet some ladies and you're going to enjoy your day. <laughs> yeah. You know, the funny thing is I think about that and I, I try to get into it and think about like if I was there and then I realized that with my age, there's a good chance I'm the age equivalent of the Colonel in charge of the entire airfield. Right. That mm-hmm. Everybody else, everyone else in this movie is a kid. Right. And it's sort of like, I mean, even, you know, Captain Dearborn and all those guys, I want to say are mid, maybe the average, maybe he's a little bit older, but I would say mid twenties, maybe. Mm-hmm. And these are the guys flying these things and, and crewing them. I mean, they're all kids. So, you know, you go over there and it's kind of like you start thinking about that and it's, yeah, you know, I, it's just interesting as I've watched this movie and I've aged and started thinking, thinking about that, putting that in perspective and uh, yeah. So that'd be a hard one to determine just because, you know, I'd go grab a hamburger with an 18 year old kid, but you know, and then realize that, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm doing the deep dive into that question a little bit more with this movie. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd, I'd probably have to say the, the Colonel that's in charge of the base. Actually, he, he probably would have been a follow-up, uh, like a runner up answer for me too. Mm-hmm. I think he would, he'd have a lot he'd want to talk about. Right. And I just, I like his character too. I like, you know, that he's trying to, he's trying to defend his guys and he's trying to like this army guy who's come in to, you know, his celebration and he doesn't understand the superstitions and he doesn't understand all that other stuff. And, um, you know, just he, he's, he's a higher ranking officer. He's in charge of this whole thing, but he does genuinely care about all the people that are under his command. And you know, the, the interesting thing is, and I'm going to do spoilers for 1917, possibly. So listening audience, Oh, I, you know, if you want to earmuff it or any of that kind of stuff, you're all good. I guess. But, but think about that character and then what you see, I'll just keep it. I'll keep it. I'll keep it general. What you see depicted in the end of 1917. And now this movie was definitely one of hope and the, the, the swelling music. And I'm going to say a quick thing about the music in a second, but this was, this told the story where it ended and these guys get to go home and all this kind of stuff. And there's that scene where the Colonel, um, you know, turns and he starts to walk back into the tower and he looks back and you just see a sigh like you know and it was almost like i 
I saw a lot of parallels between that and a little bit of what was at the end of 1917. And this is the parallel I saw was the idea that, you know, in this one, it was, thank God we got these guys home. But in the same token, this was 1943. The end of the war was not really in sight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it was kind of like new mission tomorrow. You know, I mean, it was, it's, I, uh, I can't imagine what that would be like. You know, and it's funny because I saw a little bit of that. Now, again, the nature of the movie was different, but just that guy had to keep going, you know. Now, you wanted to, we're about to jump into our three questions here in a second, but you did say a second ago you wanted to mention something about the music. What did you want to say about that? Real quick about the music. um, This was one of the first two CDs that I ever bought. And I bought them both at the same time. And this was my first movie soundtrack ever. And Mm. I love this soundtrack. I love this soundtrack. I could listen to this. I think I listened to this uh, darn near once a day. Um, I put the soundtrack through. I started listening to the big band swing era music from an early age. I mean, that was kind of my favorite music growing up. So that that featured so prominently into this um, film was awesome. You know, everything from the, what's, what, what do they call that? What did the soundtrack show uh, call it the diagenic music, you know, yeah. from the mm-hmm. the live band yeah. to picking up the music on the airwaves to Harry Connick. What a great use of Harry Connick in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that was, that's the only, that's my only knock. That's the one thing I would change in this movie is on the soundtrack, have Harry Connick's recording of the, of Danny boy on the soundtrack. Um, but uh, yeah, I just thought that whole element of the music was great. And then the use of, Danny Boy, the Londonderry uh, 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 tune or air from Londonderry or whatever, Danny Boy, the song, and then Amazing Grace and how they not only use that kind of, you know, diagenically where they're singing it, but then it gets incorporated into the soundtrack of the, of the tune. I mean, from Amazing Grace, them all singing it on the Jeep. I get wrapped up into that. I'm going to get a tear in my eye when I see that. I'm sure some people will look at it derisively and, oh, well, that's, but I, I like that scene. And then, um, the use of amazing grace that did morphs into the takeoff thing. And when those guys are rocketing down the runway and it's time to take off, I mean, Holy cow, that music just gets you. And then the use of Danny boy, um, throughout all the different themes of, of using Danny boy and the way that uh, George Fenton is able to bring those emotions and the hopelessness and the hope and all that into it um, uh, is pretty amazing. And then you talk about when that wheel goes down, boy, I'll tell you, that music is just right there. Just just taking all that emotion and that tense uh, to a new level. And when that, you know, the music gets to the cadence point right as the ratchet clicks into the place and then the plane... Uh, you know, comes down on the, on the runway like that. I just, I just can't say enough about the music. It's one of my first, my first soundtrack I ever went out and said, yeah, I want to listen to more of that. And uh, it's one of my favorite soundtracks uh, of all time. So anyways, I just wanted to say, I just want to say a little something about the music. No, it was great. It was great. Fit perfectly with the, just the whole, just the movie as a whole. Yeah. Final thought. How awesome is Harry Connick Jr.? That guy is just amazing. Okay, I'm, I'm done now. There we go. All right, it's now time for three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. 
It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Okay, question number one. Uh, what is your favorite flying vehicle from TV or a movie? Uh, does living creatures count, or are we just talking vehicles? Uh, you could do... Please say vehicles, otherwise I'm going to have 40 million things. <laughs> vehicles. Okay, good. All right. I, I know what you were about to choose, though. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Falcor from The NeverEnding Story. I, that was, the, yeah. <laughs> I, I liked it when he got those bullies. Yeah. <laughs> the magical luck dragons, yeah. Oh, man. Okay, so yes, it's vehicles. What are you going to go with? Okay. Uh, well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll take my place at the end of the line because I get overly excited. Bo, you go ahead. Okay. Um, so I, it's interesting. I, I didn't really think about the whole alive thing. But I'm going to say the spaceship from Flight of the Navigator. Oh, hmm. yeah. Nice. I tried racking my brain, and I pretty much just kept coming back to, um, I, I kept coming back to Star Wars pretty much every single time. Uh, mm. Part of me there for a little bit wanted to head towards the uh, the Vipers from Battlestar Galactica. Mm. Uh, that would have been, I, I would have been okay with that. Um I think ultimately, though, I, I got to go with the fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy. Oh, good mm. choice. I, I got to go with the Millennium Falcon. You know, it's it, it might seem sick to talk about uh, 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 something that's intended to be a weapon or a weapons platform. Um, but, you know, I've, I've watched a lot of these movies about, you know, war and, you know, there's action movies and so forth. And so a lot of my things are kind of uh, centered around that. And so I'll say the B-17 um, has kind of a special, you know, meaning to me. I've, I've always enjoyed reading and studying about that plane, seeing them fly. Um, you know, the few chances I've had to, to be able to like walk through and actually touch one um, has, has been pretty amazing. And so a lot of these things for me really come from those. And so basically, like I said, you know, next week or last week or whenever we do Air America, you know, I'd love to be in all the planes, but I'm going to try to, I'll try to narrow it down and I'll say, um, you know, when I first saw 30 seconds over Tokyo and uh, the B-25s, uh, the Mitchells that flew off, you know, the carrier mm -hmm. and the Hornet, I believe. And, uh, you know, that, that movie is just unbelievably amazing and so seeing those b25s that left a pretty big impression on a kid um seeing top gun uh how can you not love the f-14 tomcat after watching top gun mm -hmm. and so i mean that was i mean i wanted to grow up and fly those planes and i would say that uh this movie the b-17 um has a you know a lot of uh meaning to me is you know and uh i've always been fascinated by him so i would say the the b-17 in this movie if i could narrow my list of vehicles down to three nice 
Uh, if I am allowed a a runner up, I'm going to go with the Eagle Five. Mm-hmm. Go there the, you go. The the Eagle Five, the Winnebago from Spaceballs. Yes. It's the outlines of what looks like a Winnebago. Winnebago. A Winnebago. <laughs> oh. And then I'm going to go with Sirius Black's motorcycle because I mean flying oh, motorcycles. That's yeah, yeah. that's just awesome. Yeah. That's uh-huh. just awesome. Fair. Nice. Let's not let's not make this too heavy here. Like, oh no. Uh, you no, know. no no no. All right, number two, favorite dance or social event, either that you have been to personally or one from a movie. The junior board of the Looking Glass Theater throws a gala every year called a Mad Hatter's Ball. Hmm. And I went once back in my early 20s, and it was a blast. Um, David Schwimmer is on the board of Looking Glass. He was there. Um, Some other random celebrity was there and it was just a really good time. Hmm. Lots of food, lots of cocktails and lots of different entertainment. And it was, you know, it was one of those classic Chicago parties. It was in an event space. So it was like very industrial. Mm -hmm. It was cool. Nice. Well, the correct answer is all of the dances I went to with my wife. um, Mm -hmm. Well done. When we were still dating in high school and uh, so that's that's my real life answer. If I were to take it from a movie, um, I would have to say. So I had three of them. If it was from a movie, I had three of them. I think my first one would be the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. Mm-hmm. Back to the Future. Uh, my second choice would be Greece. Would be the the school dance mm-hmm. at the end of Greece, and mm-hmm. then my third one would be the school dance in It's a Wonderful Life. Okay. When you open up the swimming pool and everybody falls in. Yeah. How do you not, how do you not like that? Right? I will you use your answer and keep me out of hot water and say <laughs> that all the dances that I went to in high school with my wife, um, I would say those, you know, were the best. Movies, I, you know what? I, I, to be honest, I didn't think that angle with this question. So I'm a little unprepared, but I guess to tag on to uh, what you're saying, I'd say the uh, Back to the Future Three, the uh, the, mm, the, mm-hmm. the line dance in that one, that one was pretty uh, darn good. With, uh, with ZZ Top as the band? With ZZ Top as the mm-hmm. band. And then why well, I was going to say one more and I can't think of it. But uh, if I do, I'll just, you know, blurt it right, blurt it right out and throw it in there. All right. All right. Oh, I- uh, how about Pulp Fiction? There we go. Oh, there you go. That works. Nobody wanted to go with the vampire rave at the beginning of Blade. Mm. Oh, that's right yeah. with the bloodbath. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Was that Blade or Blade Two? That was Blade. Okay. Yeah, that was the first one. I know because that was the first DVD I ever bought, and I think I just played that thing. I don't remember if DVD players could play on a loop, but I think I might have. That was a pretty awesome. That was a pretty awesome sequence. Yeah, that was the only DVD I could afford for a while, so that one was pretty yeah. much nonstop. The Tech Noir and Terminator, that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. All right, question number three. Memphis, this movie is called Memphis Bell. Memphis has some great barbecue. What is your favorite barbecue meal? Hmm. Well, will mine's say, easy. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I, I, no, no, no. I, I, I interrupted. Go ahead, John. Jump in there. I, I will say I was very proud of Nora for having the exact same answer I did. Okay. Which mm-hmm. is why she continues to be my favorite daughter. Um, 
our our collective answer was barbecue ribs from Ironworks Barbecue in Austin, Texas. Mm, it's very it very good stuff. But you got to if you do if you do go there and if you do eat there, if you sit out on the back uh, kind of um, kind of back porch balcony kind of area, you got to watch your food because the birds will sometimes kind of fly in and try to steal a rib from you. Oh, oh. So, so you got to just kind of, you can't, one lady that was sitting at a table next to us one time, she did not realize that. And she went up to go get a refill on her drink. And, uh, she nearly had a, um, uh, they have these big black birds called grackles and, um, the grackles like to swoop in and try to take your food. If you leave your table for too long, Jeez. that's interesting, but yes, best. I mean, of all the barbecue places in Austin, that's my favorite. I have no specific, you know, barbecue place and all that. And I'm going to kind of stretch this a little bit. I love corn on the cob and mm-hmm. I've a lot of the, I, I don't know if this is like, I mean, you know what I'm saying, John? I know, I know that, uh, that, uh, you, you hail originally partially from the South. So I mm-hmm. want to be careful when I talk barbecue, oh, yeah. but I mean, I, I know that corn on the cob seems to be at least the barbecues I've been to. There's a lot of it. So oh, yeah. I can go through, I've gone through a dozen years of corn in one barbecue sitting. So I love that stuff. And it's, if it's done on the grill or if it's corn roast, you know, the corn roasters, I, I will, I will sometimes just forego everything else just so I can eat corn on the cob, good Uh roasted corn on the cob. So I would say that would be, that would be my, my barbecue selection there. Of of your, of the actual like barbecue, the the meats and everything, what, (sighs) what would you tend to go for if you were doing a, a meal like that? I, I'm, I with, know, I'm with you with the corn on the cob. I mean, that's, and that's usually, there's a, there's a big old piece of corn at the, at that ironworks place we go to in Austin too. That's one of their, yeah. when, you, when you get the rib plate, that's one of the parts that comes with it. So I'm, I'm there with you. That's, that's one of it is. I, I, I don't know, John, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to cede my time to the uh, distinguished gentleman from, uh, uh, from, um, uh, Bo, I, I drew a complete blank. I'll just say Vernon Hills, but I'm going to have to cede <laughs> to Bo because I'm, I'm, I, I don't know if I've got a specific for you. Mm-hmm. All right. Like I, I seriously get target fixated on like, mm-hmm. yeah. So fair enough. I got nothing for you. Oh, I'm sorry, right. man. I'm, I've let I, you hey, and more, the podcast and my family and my country down. Not, not at all. You've just left more barbecue for me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there, it, mm-hmm. there it is. I actually, you know, I think locally, I really like real urban barbecue and I would say, um, any, any two meat combo where one of those meats is burnt ends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> those are always good you know as long as one is burn ends the other ones i can you know i can interchange because they mm-hmm. do a lot of good stuff there i guess if i had to pick my favorite it's probably pulled oh no i'm totally going to change what i just said fair enough and i forgot about it because i can only get it in the summertime mm-hmm. there is a there's a they used to have a restaurant but now they only do catering brothers ribs we used anything, to go there all the anything time anything from anything from brothers ribs I only get it in the summer once it warms up because they do catering gigs at festivals and things. So I kind of forgotten about them, but yes, anything from there. That was our go-to spot. Whenever we oh, I know. wanted to go so get some good. barbecue, we'd go to there, but we actually called it, uh, we didn't even call it brother's ribs. We called it the pig place just because all of right, their, they had the big pig logo. Yep, yeah. Just all the decor on the inside was all the pig stuff. Huh? Yeah. We love yeah. that stuff. And that's, yeah, we haven't, haven't been there in, well, we haven't gone to any of their uh, pop-ups that they have in years. Cause we just never, we're just almost never around when they have an event like that. And yeah, once we get the list of, once we get the list of dates for the, the local car show here, I should 
Yeah. So I'll send it to you because they oh, show yeah. up at those. Okay. They go to all the Long Grove festivals. Nice. And then the Mundelein Fourth of July Fest, they're always at too. Okay. Okay. Mm. Is that is that the Mundelein Cruise Nights you're talking about, Bo? Yeah. yeah. God, those are great shows. Yes. They really are. And then the oh, the food. Mm. Okay, so now I want now I want pulled pork sandwich <laughs> and a double boneless rib sandwich, and I want it now. Yep. <laughs> Now, see, I get a little picky sometimes with my with my barbecue because there's a lot of places up around here that that don't do fried okra, and oh. and, I, and I gotta have some fried okra with my barbecue. So sometimes we'll go, you know, if it's a if you want something that's a little bit more, I mean, it's still really good, but it's a little bit more of kind of a almost a fast food take on barbecue. Is we'll go mm-hmm. to a, a Dickie's barbecue because those are from down in Texas, but they've got some up here now. So we'll mm-hmm. actually drive up to Kenosha. I think that's that might be one of the closest ones. I know they've got one in, uh, I want to say, Bloomingdale. Um, maybe out around Schaumburg somewhere. But the other one is up at Kenosha, and that's where we tend to go for that. And and they have uh, they have some very very good um, uh, barbecue uh, barbecue turkey and some mm-hmm. uh, some really good fried okra. So gotta go for that too. Nice. There it is. Yeah. John and I hit up a place. What was this it's called? Uh, Jimmy Joe's Barbecue. When we went down to go see the Bears training camp in Bourbon A. Mm, okay. And that place was good. They had they had the burnt ends. They had all the good stuff. And I think we, you know, we had tried. I told him we were going to have barbecue once we left the training camp. And so I think we had tried to keep ourselves from having too many other snacks or other food. Mm-hmm. And I think that we were just really hungry. We ordered way too much food, and I was ashamed to say that I was not able to finish it all. But it was also very good. I'm sure. So, unfortunately, Bears Training Camp no longer in Bourbon A, so I don't have much of a reason to go down there. But if we ever do, we'll go. Other than that barbecue place. Other than the barbecue place, I'd I'd go there for the barbecue. Well, somehow, with that last question, we turned this from the Memphis Bell podcast to the uh, barbecue podcast. But Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, No. nothing wrong with that at all. I feel like eat. I, I feel like after that plane landed, that would be that would have been the first thing that they would have asked for, or should have been the first thing they asked for if they didn't. Historically, mm-hmm. sure. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for Memphis Bell. So, if you want to join us next time, we are continuing on with our planes and automobiles month. We've got Days of Thunder coming up, and uh, I that is one that I have not seen. So I oh man Pat keeps reminding me that uh, I mean pretty much with all these movies this month. Um, but uh, Pat, you, you keep reminding me I I, I got to get on this one. So I have not yeah. seen it yet. I, I gotta I gotta buckle down and and watch this one. It's a classic. Yeah. It's just a classic. And if I can, at the risk of just talking way too much at, uh, on, this, on this podcast, can I throw a little book recommendation out there? And it's, um, it's a really unique, very powerful story. And it actually talks about a, a bomber and a, a German fighter plane. And, and it's a story, that, a true story that comes out of the Second World War. And it's a book called A Higher Call. And there's a, an article that I read about it, this story. It was, you know, just an article kind of telling this story. And then they actually wrote a full book, and uh, I don't want to give I don't want to give uh, uh, too much away, um, but it's 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 a you know, and I won't get on the lecture here, but it's just about a bomber limping home and a German fighter deciding to spare the bomber, and it's it's a really powerful story. It's called A Higher Call, and I cannot recommend it enough. It is a fantastic book. So, nice, nice. Just gonna. Throw I, that just, out there. Uh, I just pulled it up here real quick. It is 
uh, a higher call in Incredibles true story of combat and chivalry in the war-torn skies of World War II? Yes, that would be it. By Adam Marcos? Or Adam yes. Marco, Marcos. Makos? Makos, yeah. Okay. All right. And actually, when I went to go pull that up, it looks like they've been trying to develop that into a movie. If they do it right, it could be fantastic. Okay. It is, it is a story for the ages. Everybody I've given this book to um, is like, you know, I've, I've given it recommendations or gifts or whatever. And it's like, everyone's like, holy crap, that's an amazing book. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm not taking any credit for it. I didn't have anything to do with it other than reading it. But um, I cannot recommend that book, that book enough. Yeah. It looks like, yeah, I was, I was trying to pull up some information on it. Um, it looks like back in 2014, they started trying to develop it into a movie and it still looks like it's some of the same people that would be directing or producing it. Um, it looks like it would be, uh, Tom Stoppard, who also did empire of the sun and Shakespeare in love. Okay. Mm -hmm. Looks like if they do it, that might be the, that might be your director for that All one, right. but it looks like they've been trying to develop almost since the book got published. Um, it looks like it came out in 2012. The book did. And since mm -hmm. about 2014, they've been working on a screenplay and trying to get, turn it into a movie. Yeah. That'd be cool. It's, um... Nice. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty awesome. I will, um, if I, uh, I'll make a note here for myself and hopefully I'll remember to do it, but I'll drop in a link to maybe Amazon or somewhere else. If anybody wants to go take a look for the book. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome. Excellent. All right. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you for being here once again. I always enjoy talking movies with you. Thank you, John, for putting it together and getting us together. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, so again, if you want to get kind of ahead on this, we've got Days of Thunder is coming up next week. Cadillac Man is coming up the week after that. And then as we march on into April, we've got our Action and Adventure Month that starts in April with Dances with Wolves, The Hunt for Red October, Navy Seals, and Rocky Five. Thousand. Thousand. There we go. Um, so that's what we got coming up next. If you want to get ahead on some of these movies, go find them at your local library. Go find them at, uh, I don't know if there's any video stores that still exist somewhere in the world. Um, find them online, find them anywhere. If we've got, uh, you know what, if I've got a spot, uh, where I can take a look at, uh, usually with a Google search, it'll show you where it's streaming. Um, but, uh, I can try to include that when I post up some of our stuff on, on Twitter and Facebook and our other places. But, um, most of these movies are out there. You just have to go look for them just a little bit. So, all right. Well, once again, thank you all for being here. Be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. We'll see you back here next week for Days of Thunder.